Friends, let us pray. Lord, open our hearts to your goodness so that we may open our mouths in praise. Open our eyes to your power so that we may open our minds to the possibility of hope and open our lives to be transformed so that we may open our world to your good news. This we pray in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, amen. To kick off the summer, we here at First Pres are going super meta. We are talking about worship in worship. We are asking ourselves why we do the things we do in the midst of actually doing them. And instead of just performing the motions, we are examining them and investigating them and even questioning them, all with the hope of deepening our practice, deepening our worship. Two weeks ago, we opened the series by talking about the call to worship, the liturgy we start every service with that reminds us of the most foundational truth of worship, that God is here. The creator of the universe is here. The savior of humanity is here. What else can we do but worship? Then last week, we explored the role of the prayer of confession, the assurance of pardon, and the passing of the peace of Christ. After acknowledging who God is, we can't help but acknowledge honestly who we are, each and every one of us, sinners in need of God's mercy and grace. But our sin is not the final word because in Jesus Christ, forgiveness is assured and peace is given. Thanks be to God. And so today we turn our attention to most people's favorite part of the worship service, the hymns, the psalms, and spiritual songs. Like every other aspect of our order of worship, the inclusion of music in the service probably feels to you somewhat normal, even rote. But just like every other aspect of our order of worship, even how we sing and how we play music is strange and unusual. After all, how many places in the world do you gather with people of every age and race, sexuality, gender, and background in order to confess your sins out loud together and then randomly breaking out into group singing? The answer is one place, the church. Now, I know this will come as a shock to you, but the church hasn't always agreed on the role of music and the type of music that is appropriate for the church. Yes, the singing of psalms and hymns and songs is evident throughout the entirety of Scripture, but the Bible doesn't come with a hymnal or musical guidance. And without that certain clarity, the early ch church did the exact same thing we do today. They borrowed from tradition, in their case, the Jewish tradition. After all, the content still applied. Singing the Psalms had a place in both faith traditions. But as I said last week, when you are around for as long as the church has been around, debate and division is inevitable. Before traditions were even codified, the early church wrestled over whether to sing psalms, aka traditional songs, or to incorporate hymns, aka new songs. 
As we are well aware, this very debate has continued throughout the history of the church. The battle between the old and the new, psalms or hymns, medieval or renaissance, in Latin or the common tongue, with instruments or without, chanting quietly or bellowing loudly, eyes open or closed, hands tucked in your lap or raised in the air, humble or extravagant. Leave it to the church to create conflict over something as universally beloved as music. But as it turns out, it doesn't matter if we are debating sin or the Psalter, as followers of Christ and heirs of the Reformed tradition, we look to scripture for resolution. We go to the Bible for answers. And when answers are nowhere to be found, or at least the kind of answers we are hoping for, well, then we must simply look for a faithful way forward, trusting that the Spirit is guiding us every step of the way. Ecclesia Reformata, Semper Reformanda. Guiding us on our journey today and this entire month is a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. Friends, listen up, for God is still speaking. Now, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And, in, and a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Friends, the word of the Lord. When all is said and done, I guess it should be no surprise that even the musical aspects of worship come with their share of controversy. After all, all artistic expression 
after all, like all artistic expression, music is powerful. According to writer Hans Christian Andersen, where words fail, music speaks. Or philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, without music, life would be a mistake. Or theologian Saint Augustine, the one who sings, prays twice. Music is one of God's greatest gifts to humanity. It adds beauty and depth to our lives, gives soundtrack to our stories, and offers us an outlet for our feelings and our emotions. But as James said, music can also be one of our gifts to God. Whenever we make music or sing or offer music in worship, we do so as an offering to God, not as entertainment for us. We sing out of admiration and love. We sing out of gratitude and thanks. We sing out of sorrow and lament. When we are overwhelmed and overcome in the presence of our almighty God, what else can we do but sing? And here is the craziest part. God actually delights in our worship and praise. God delights in our musical offerings, no matter how good of a singer we are, no matter how professional our performance is, no matter what style or instrument or volume we bring. How do we know? We'll just look at our passage for the past few weeks in Luke chapter 7. If the call to worship is the woman finding out that Jesus was going to be present at Simon's house, and the confession sequence is this woman bringing her sin before Jesus and Jesus forgiving her and sending her in peace, well then the hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs is her showing up with something to give, something to offer her Messiah, her King. Now, since scripture doesn't give us all of the details, I like to think that this woman had no idea what she was going to do when she actually met Jesus. I like to think that as soon as she found out where Jesus was going to be, she ransacked her house for the most extravagant gift she could find, her alabaster jar of oil, and then she just ran out the door. I like to think that she was a little nervous and a lot scared when she arrived at Simon's house. And that upon seeing Jesus sitting across the room from her, she became so overwhelmed that she burst out crying, ran over to where he was, fell to her knees, and after realizing she didn't have anything to wash his feet with, she used her tears and her hair. I like to think that at some point in the midst of all of this activity, She remembered what she brought for Jesus and awkwardly poured out the contents of the jar over her dried tears, thinking to herself, gosh, I wish I had more to give than my tears and my hair and my alabaster jar of oil. And I like to think that just as she said that to herself, Simon was uttering his judgments to himself and that Jesus interrupted both of them, saying, Simon, you didn't even give me water for my feet, but she gave me her tears. You didn't even kiss my face, but she kissed my feet. You made it about you, but she made it about me. You gave me nothing, but she gave me everything. 
And that right there is worship. That is praise. That is why we sing. We sing not because we sound good. We sing because God is good. We sing not to create beauty on our terms. We sing because God inspires beauty within us. We sing not to delight ourselves. We sing because God delights in us. And in light of this good news, our tradition encourages us to bring whatever we have, whatever we can find in our hearts and our homes, our salty tears and our precious oil, our time and our treasure, our hymns and our songs, our music and our movement, our words and our art. We bring it all knowing that it is not even close to what Jesus deserves, but it is exactly what he wants. And so to close my sermon on singing, I thought it would be most appropriate for us to actually sing. But not just any song. Written in 1862, this piece is the most rigorously reformed hymn in our tradition, which is helpful because if you ever wonder what our church is about and what we believe, it's all in this one song. So if you, if you happen to know the lyrics, I invite you to sing along with me. <laughs> 